Hi there. Welcome to Totally Fantastic Title. I'm Krista Wallace. When I was pregnant the first time, we got talking, as I'm sure most couples do, about how we hoped to raise our kids. You know, what's our parenting philosophy? I'm not sure if we settled on a set of rules and guidelines before the boy was born, though we talked about things we did and didn't like about how our own parents raised us. But as soon as the boy was born, we were both deeply struck by something. We felt so responsible. Like, this is a living, breathing human, and we have to help him thrive physically and emotionally. And we realized that this small creature we held in our arms was a sponge. We said to each other, every single thing we do is teaching him something. And therefore, with both kids, We need to always be thinking, what do we want them to learn? With everything we say and do, every action, every reaction, what do we want them to learn? It felt heavy at first, but we got used to it. It became a way of life. We got into being parents on purpose. So we owed it to our kids to take the job seriously. You may recall, last week, Mateo auditioned for Griffin's band, and the guys were all suitably impressed. There was also a wee bit of tension that Griffin had not expected. Griffin and the Spurious Correlations by Krista Wallace Chapter 15, May 17th Thursday, one week since my first gig with the spurious correlations, one week since Mateo had kissed me in the kitchen, two days since our first date, only one since things had become complicated. Weird vibes between the two men notwithstanding, last night had been amazing. I was thrilled at the prospect of having Mateo in my band. I needed to talk further with the guys, but I was certain they wanted him in, even Calvin. I had been bothered all night about Calvin. Why did he have to wreck the evening with a comment like that? I mean, sure, Jason had been my boyfriend for a couple of years, but was there some sort of appropriate mourning period for a guy who was obviously a jerk? I ought to have dumped him ages ago. Maybe that was why I had fallen for Mateo so easily. From the get-go, Mateo had treated me better than Jason ever had. Did that mean I was on the rebound? Or did it just mean I now knew how I wanted to be treated? Having said that, what was with Mateo's oddly uncool reaction to Calvin? His comment hadn't been an obvious slight, but the more I thought about it, the more I defined his tone as an indirect put-down of Calvin's capability as a drummer. On the one hand, it sounded like a comment a supportive fellow musician would make, but on the other hand, Mateo had been the guest. Had Andy or Cameron said it, it would have been welcome, even unnoticeable. As I boarded the bus, I worked to convince myself that maybe I was reading too much into it. Funny how I felt so protective of Calvin all of a sudden. Jason had been a jerk to him more than once, but I'd ignored it. I don't know why. We all had. Maybe we all just accepted that he was like that. We knew it said more about him than it did about Calvin. With Mateo, it was a different story for some reason. 
I was kind of pissed off at Calvin, but I also knew he wasn't really wrong. In fact, he had no idea how right he was. Damn it, I had to tell him about the spurious correlations. This not-full-truth thing did not sit well. But what was it he had said? He saw the way Matteo looked at me. I smiled. Matteo had been looking at me in such a way that Calvin had noticed? I was pretty sure I was in love, or at least infatuated, with my lead guitarist, and he obviously had feelings for me, but he did not have my permission to be rude. I couldn't, no, I wouldn't put up with Matteo being a jerk to Calvin even a tiny little bit. I would have to have a talk with him. Already in a bit of a mood, as soon as I entered the dining room, my fury at Phoenix from the day before was renewed. I had managed to shove it all aside to get through the auditions, but just the old soup smell of the dark restaurant reminded me that Mateo had been given time off and I had not. Phoenix was a complete bastard. Well, I was damned sure I would let him know I was no fool. The grubby carpet cushioned my angry stomps. With my new revelation that Calvin had seen Mateo looking at me in a certain way, I walked into the kitchen feeling like I could take on the world. The room was devoid of cooks. I heard the thump of the door from the dining room and whirled around to see Phoenix. How had he come so close behind me without my noticing? Before he could open his mouth, I said, What's the big idea giving the other band members this week off? They deserve it. You don't. I had begun by feeling relatively calm, but this comment drew my ire and heat spread up my neck to my face. I couldn't argue that Matteo deserved it. I wouldn't have been able to stomach such disloyalty, but I deserved it too, and I was dead tired of being toyed with. My hand curled around the knife that had materialized as easily as if I'd grabbed it out of the drawer I'd tossed it in. "'Today you will make baklava,' he boomed. I stared at him. Matteo got time off, and I was being asked to make yet another of the trickiest desserts there is? An unexpected thing happened. No, I said. He stared back at me, his mouth imitating a train tunnel. Before he could even reply, I said, Don't even think about arguing with me. My breaths came short and shallow. The weight of the knife felt good in my hand. My fingers twitched. It was like the knife wanted me to use it. He found his voice. I could fire you, then you won't get to play in the band, he said triumphantly, his explosion of hair like a forest of exclamation points sticking out of his head. My brain was going places I never expected it was capable of. Apparently, I was fed up. I could quit, and then you'd have to find a new dessert-making rhythm guitarist by Sunday. It was a battle of who would call whose bluff. I sure as hell needed the band like a heart attack victim needed a defibrillator. Did Phoenix know that? Did he need me as desperately as I needed the band? Who was this person who was speaking in my voice? Phoenix closed his mouth. He opened it again. His face suddenly drained of all color and he looked positively stricken. Wow, I did not expect that. What will you make then? he asked in an oddly respectful tone. I trained laser eyes on him and decided that what was good enough for Matteo was good enough for me. Nothing, I said. I am making nothing. Okay, he said almost meekly. Wow, I had been bracing myself for way more of a fight. What was up with that reaction? 
The dining room door went foomp, and in walked Mateo. Hey, Griffin girl, what you doing? He leaned on the work table and gazed at me with puppy eyes. Are you coming to rehearsal? My eyes still on Phoenix, I said. I was about to head there. Mateo turned to where Phoenix stood, basically right next to him. Oh, hey, Phoenix, I didn't see you there. Didn't see him there? One of those I-only-have-eyes-for-you kind of moments? Well, that was a little bit thrilling. My body quaked with the adrenaline of confronting Phoenix and the antithetical emotions that came along with Mateo's entrance. Still glaring at Phoenix, I grabbed a random book off the shelf. It was called Bobbing Blobs and Bulbs by Bob Loblaw. I'm sure you'll find a recipe for baklava in there, and I can come back later and see how you're doing with it. A hand gently grabbed my arm and spun me around. Mateo had walked around the table and now cupped my face in his hands and kissed me. Golly, had someone cranked up the temperature in the room? Either that or we'd been transported to a tropical paradise. His voice low and rich, he said, You are really something, Griffin. I'm so glad. I thought he might kiss me again. I'd be omitting pertinent information if I didn't say I hoped for it. Now, it wouldn't do for him to be the only one taking charge of the situation, so in spite of Phoenix standing there, maybe because of him, I reached my hand up to Mateo's cheek and pulled his face down to mine. Let Phoenix see that it was possible for someone to love me. Like hot liquid running through the body on a cold day, heat from Mateo's soft lips traipsed through my every limb, so I might have been standing in a very small room with lots of fireplaces. When our lips parted, I was surprised to observe I was still standing on the floor. I couldn't feel it beneath my feet. I felt cotton candy. He put his strong arms around me and rested his chin on the top of my head in a hug that would protect me from anything that could possibly harm me, including big bad wolves, bad guys and dragons, maybe even phoenixes and magical knives. With extreme reluctance, I pulled away from him, sure I'd left my heart stuck to his chest, and let his warmth and security envelop me as I noticed the knife still in my fist. I opened an oven door and tossed it in. I didn't think Phoenix had seen it, but I ignored him just in case. It would be just like him to call the cops on me right now. Phoenix hadn't said anything since Mateo had come in. He stood there wearing a wordless frown, as if pissed off he hadn't succeeded in whatever he was trying to do. Then he left the kitchen, and the door swung behind him. Mateo held my hand all the way to the rehearsal studio. I tried to shake off the hodgepodge of emotions. I was a complete mess. I let myself sink into the music, and slowly but surely I recovered. Rehearsal was less about practicing today than it was about the joy of making music. For a band who'd been together for just ten days, we were really damn good. The drummer, bass player, and I were the tightest rhythm team I'd ever been part of. Mateo played like a fucking god, and I swear I played the best I ever had. Our voices blended and we harmonized so well I had shivers up my spine and goosebumps almost constantly. We went over changes in tempo, tweaked transitions and segues, and talked about our between-song patter. I left most of the talking up to him, since I've never been comfortable with that part, and he was more or less the leader of the band anyway. This band was going to blow the audience away on Sunday, and I was completely and wholly thrilled to be a part of it, no matter what other weird shit the universe could throw at me. 
At the end of the day, I said, Hey, Mateo, thanks for coming out to audition last night. I think the guys were really impressed. It was fun, although that drummer was a bit... How long has he been with you guys? My back went up like a flag. A red flag. I told you about Calvin when we were at the pub. He's the one who started the band with me. Mateo said, Hmp, in an I'm not impressed kind of way. Confused and suddenly unsure of myself, I said, That drummer is my best friend. Really? Mateo said doubtfully. He shrugged. Okay. I did not know what that was supposed to mean, and all of a sudden the roiling mass of conflicting emotions became more than I could cope with. Plus, I noticed the time. I gotta go. I have lessons to teach. My voice came out like a rusty hinge. I packed up my guitars, hands shaking. I'll see you tomorrow. Mateo insulting Calvin was not the kind of weird shit I had been referring to. My bus was late, so I was late for my five o'clock lesson. The kid didn't seem to care, but the father was like, I don't appreciate this, you know. We have to bolt from here and go straight to soccer, so you can't run late at the end. You have to make up the time on another day. I assured him I'd be happy to do so, and that I didn't want to waste any more of today's lesson talking about it. I ushered the kid into a practice room. By the time we emerged, Brian was waiting to speak to me after the kid and his dad left. I was about to explain the situation from my side, but Brian said, Did you really tell Derek's father his kid was as dumb as a sack of hammers? Shocked, I said, No, of course not. I would never say anything like that. What an asshole! I don't need to tell you. No, I agreed vehemently. You don't. And if you're finding that scene to be a bit familiar, you aren't alone. It was at the point when Brian mentioned the sack of hammers that something went click in my head. None of this felt real. It wasn't just your basic deja vu. I had lived through the exact same sequence of events just last week. In fact, the more I thought about it, the more I recognized that if I was honest, it hadn't felt real then either. Who would accuse me of saying such a nasty thing to his kid? Nobody, that's who. Just like nobody would so blatantly say one band member didn't deserve a day off when the rest of the band did. This was about me, Phoenix and me. I didn't know why or how, but I was determined to find out before we wound up facing each other twenty paces apart amid dust and tumbleweeds. Somehow my mind was being messed with in a big way. Somebody was trying to give me a mental breakdown by... It sounded ridiculous to even think it. Replaying last Thursday afternoon. Breathe, I told myself. Breathe. For lack of another option in the moment, I allowed the scene to play out as it had last week. Then I retreated to my practice room, where I tried to recall what came next. Ah, yes, Devinder, who played heart, arrived. I said, how about you play your heart tune for me? Suspicion in her eyes, she sat down and started to play. I also remembered that the week before, I had been nervous about my first spurious correlations gig, which had thrown me off— Today, I had Phoenix's assholery and Mateo's off-putting comments about Calvin. But I also had Mateo's arms around me and his lips sending hot chocolate through every fiber of my body. I think I had become numb to being riled. When my student's mother arrived, I forestalled her question about the recital by saying, You know, Devinder's playing so well, I'd love for her to learn something even more difficult. I don't know if she'd be ready to play it at the recital, but it's something to work toward. 
All right, she said, with puzzled eyebrows. And because I wasn't in a hurry to get out the door, the woman had nothing more to say. I had taken control of my day. It was an unfamiliar sensation, yet one I was prepared to get used to. When I got home and found the knife on my dining-room table, I picked it up. It had a very, very nice weight to it. It was the same knife I had tossed into the oven in the restaurant kitchen. The same knife I had not only chucked into the back of the closet, but hidden on a shelf with a volume of Shakespeare on top of it. This, I decided, was no ordinary knife. It vibrated in my hand the way my cell phone does when a text comes in. It twinkled on occasion, and often made my hand feel like I'd been electrocuted. It either had a message for me, or it was the message. This time I didn't get startled and drop it. I peered at it with determination. What do you want from me? Interlude, the tail end of May 17th. Rickenbacker selected an onion ring and dipped it in spicy dipping sauce. As he leaned back in his chair, the chair molded itself into its occupant's favorite reclining position. He breathed a self-congratulatory sigh and crossed his ankles on the built-in footrest. He noticed with delight that he was wearing his salmony pink and mustard yellow plaid socks, a gift from his mother last Greek Gratitude Day. She would be tickled he was wearing them when he arrived at her place for dinner after his meeting with Phoenix. He hoped she would make noodles. Rickenbacker loved noodles. He pictured the large plate of curly blue-green slimy deliciousness topped with his mum's delectable cherry pumpkin squid sauce and his mouth watered. Or maybe that was the onion ring. Phoenix burst into the office, interrupting Rickenbacker's reverie. "'What is the matter with Matteo?' "'What do you mean?' He snapped his mind away from noodles and onion rings and sifted through recent events to try to guess what his friend was talking about. In fact, Rickenbacker was so very pleased with the way things were progressing, especially the build-up of Griffin's frustration with Phoenix, that he was at a complete loss as to what his friend was talking about. Phoenix slapped his hands down on the desk. "'He's gone haywire! He's behaving strangely!' "'What do you mean?' Rickenbacker said again. Phoenix squinted at him. Don't you see the way he looks at her, the little touches? Wait, looks at whom? At Griffin. Haven't you seen it? He's behaving as if he's, you know. Rickenbacker tilted his head to one side and regarded his friend. Was the man nuts? With an instant answer to the question not forthcoming, he stroked his chin with his thumb and thought. Finally, he shook his head. No, no, I can't think what you're referring to. Phoenix leaned almost all the way across the desk. Mind the onion ring stand, Rickenbacker cautioned. Phoenix whispered, You know, like he has other world kind of feelings for her. Rickenbacker was puzzled, baffled even. His chair tipped him upward to a less recumbent pose. Feelings? Like, as in, love? Surely not. The very idea was synonymous with flapdoodle. Yes, that's it! Phoenix's eyes were wide, and every muscle in his body was rigid like a statue. And what's more, he said with a tight throat, his whole body quivering, it is plain that she returns those feelings. Rickenbacker simply could not believe it. It made no sense at all. He dismissed it with a wave. Preposterous! Impossible! It was not part of his instructions. What instructions did you give him? 
Rickenbacker was not at all used to Phoenix being this contrary. Rickenbacker would say, "'Today red is blue,' and Phoenix would say, "'Yes, of course it is.' This phoenix was displaying an unpleasant tendency to question Rickenbacker, and it made him not happy at all. Obviously, Rickenbacker said with impatience, I told him to be an exceptional lead guitarist. He was to be an excellent bandmate, so the other world partner would feel welcome in the band. I told him to be nicer to her than that other fellow was. He waggled his fingers as if it would help him remember the name, which it did not. The one who messed things up at the wedding. Nothing more. The most important thing was to make certain she would want more than anything to be in this band and not go back to those others. He suddenly realized his voice had raised in volume. He closed his mouth into a pout and lifted his nose just a touch as if to say, The very idea. Yes, yes, Phoenix said. Oh, dear, oh, dear. Dear, I was worried about this from the start, he wrung his hands. But what else did you say to him? Nothing. What else would I have said? Play the recording. Taken aback at this effrontery, Rickenbacker's torso pressed into his chair as if he were on a very fast train. I beg your pardon? Phoenix stood straight and tall, and in Rickenbacker's seated attitude he saw the little tuft of hair on the underside of Phoenix's chin for the first time. "'Play the recording,' Phoenix said, and sat down. Rickenbacker clamped his jaw and pressed his lips together stubbornly, but he reached through the audio files until he found the correct date of the conversation with Matteo twelve days ago. He flicked his finger to make it play and listened. Phoenix. Why is it made of fecking glass, then? Pause. What kind of ghastly rules are those supposed to be? Rickenbacker. Now, Phoenix, I am much more of a people person than you are, and since... Discussing the competition, yes, yes. Rickenbacker flicked his finger to pass through all of that. He had no liking for the recorded sound of his own voice. Play. The sound of a knock on the door and said door opening to allow the entry of their magically generated character... Phoenix. Wow, he turned out great. Rickenbacker. He's based on your design. And on and so forth through Phoenix's concern. He wasn't complete. Those were just blueprints, after all. Rickenbacker. Nonsense. He has plenty to get him through the one job he has to do. That won't matter at all. To Phoenix's plaintive whining about Blinky and Jethro, Rickenbacker's unfailing reassurance of his friend, Phoenix's departure from the room. Phoenix rose to pay close attention to what happened next. Rickenbacker closed his eyes nonchalantly. There was nothing here to worry about. There you have it, you see. But then he heard his own voice again. Rickenbacker, you, handsome, are the key to our success. Now, go and be everything our griffin desires. The quiet click of the door closing behind Matteo. Rickenbacker savoring the word, Fun. The recording stopped. The room was utterly silent. Rickenbacker shifted uncomfortably. His chair lowered and righted itself to a standard office chair position. He lifted his unaccountably damp palms from its arms. He reversed the recording a wee bit and played it again. Now, go and be everything our griffin desires. Rickenbacker said, Oh. Phoenix glared at him. Why did you say that? 
Rickenbacker shuddered and shook off the nasty, unfamiliar feeling of guilt. Clearly I meant musically. Perhaps not so clear. Rickenbacker slapped the desk petulantly. But she wants to be a musician! Phoenix rolled his eyes and strode across the room, arms wide to embrace all the air. That's the trouble with you, Rickenbacker. You see people as two-dimensional. That is why so many of our secondary characters aren't developed well enough, and Griffin can't even remember what they look like from one moment to the next, let alone remember any of their names. That is why I was worried about the MGC being no more than a blueprint. But she was adamant that she wanted to have a successful band. She said that businessman fellow would make sure they never played in this city again and such like. It was incontrovertible. Phoenix stopped and held his arms out in front of Rickenbacker. I'm not saying you're wrong about that. Yes, of course she wants to be a musician. What I'm saying is she wants other things as well. Most people do. Rickenbacker squinted. He grabbed an onion ring and chewed it. It was a bit soggy. Mouth full, he said, So what you're saying is... He swallowed and worked onion ring bits out of his teeth. Griffin wants... He tried to find the word and failed. He blinked at Phoenix. I, I don't know. I give up. Phoenix's body sagged in disgust. Love, you moron! She wants to be appreciated and loved! Rickenbacker stared at him, white noise buzzing through his mind. Love? Yes! As in, a boyfriend? Phoenix nodded. In this case, yes, a boyfriend. Nonsense! She is feeling all sorts of frustrations! We have her just where we want her! Think again, genius! Did you not see what happened this morning? Rickenbacker raised both hands dismissively. I'm a busy man. I don't have time to keep checking in over and over. He stopped, puzzled by Phoenix's impatient glare. Hastily accessing the recording from that morning, he watched as the MGC took Griffin's hand tenderly and walked her out of the kitchen. Rickenbacker was so shocked he had fewer words to say than usual. But, but how? Back it up. Rickenbacker did so to a point in the kitchen that was one of the recorded bits he hadn't bothered to go through because he had been assuming, due to overconfidence, it was all boring. When he saw his target locked in an embrace with his MGC, he leapt to his feet, breathing as if he'd just run up twenty flights of stairs, which he would never have done, and struggling to hold back a howl of rage, dismay, and horror, much as he had howled when he was first paired up with Phoenix for a project in Salamander history back in their boyhoods. He whimpered a little, and when he had breathed enough times, he calmed down to the point of just being confused. But... But Phoenix, she was happy to be rid of that other chap. That other chap was a complete bastard. Rickenbacker felt the penny drop. Oh, I see. Phoenix nodded. So when I told Matteo to be everything she desires, he took my words to heart. Phoenix nodded. This is unbelievable. Shame poked Rickenbacker in the gut, and he was reminded of that time in his youth when he'd... Hmm, no, wait, he'd never felt shame before. Now, Phoenix said, sitting down again, all business, let's think this through. I'm sure this will not spell the end for us. 
Rickenbacker was happy to switch back to problem-solving mode. Absolutely not. Under no circumstances, by no means is this the end of the line for us. Negative, most certainly. Are you sure? Let's think it through, as you suggested. What harm does it do to our plan if she and Matteo, you know? I mean, does it get in the way of the task we need her to perform? You're asking me? I have no more experience with this than you do. But her feelings for Matteo, do they make her hate you less? Phoenix puzzled through this. No, I don't think so. But having said that, it could, I suppose, make her feel so positive and happy about the band that she has more confidence in dealing with me. <gasps> he gasped. An alarm flashed in his eyes. In fact, it already has. She told me off this morning, refused to make baklava and threatened to quit. And when he entered, she calmed right down. <gasps> if that's the case, then, he frowned, she might not do it. He dropped his face into his hands. Oh no, oh no, oh no! And the deadline is too close. We don't have time to fix this, Rickenbacker. Oh, I think we do. We have a couple of days to make some changes. Rickenbacker shrugged. Perhaps if we just have him tone things down a little, that would keep the focus where it should be. Phoenix stood up again, tapping the desk with his fingers. Good idea. She needs to hate me with no distractions. What if she doesn't do it? It's the big day for us and for her. As I understand it, these can be stressful times, tense. What better time to augment the pressure? How can you be so calm? If she doesn't do it, then we lose. I don't want to lose. I don't want to lose either. Rickenbacker confessed. We will tone down the MGC's positive influence. You maximize your assaholic tendencies. I will make some adjustments to the prankster to add a wee bit of extra stress to her life. And beyond that, we will see what we will see. Rickenbacker's confidence rose a few notches from where it had been moments before. He rose and circled around the desk. We've got this. He put his arm across Phoenix's shoulders and walked him toward the door. Trust me. So Griffin stood up for herself to Phoenix in a big way. Good for her. That's excellent progress. But now Rickenbacker realizes the error he made in giving Mateo his instructions. Let's hope they can turn things around in their favor. Tune in next week when Griffin says, Nice. Very nice. Also, don't be rude to my friends on my Facebook wall. If you choose to join in a conversation on my wall, please pretend we're a group all sitting in the same room face to face. If you called one of my friends ignorant in my house, I would ask you to leave. Just saying. Thank you to my family, Matt, David and Heather, and Maggie. Cheers, David and Sharon. Thanks, Phil, for such a great guitar solo. Thanks to you for listening. Now, go be fantastic.